It was the blast of times. Are they adopting a man? No home visits. No background check. Nope. Time to kiss your boy goodbye. this family. We just watched Charming 1999 Stuart Little. Written by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah! This was M. Night Shyamalan's film right before his big break with The Sixth Sense. (laughs) What a zigzag. Yeah! That was a weird (laughs) tone to start this movie on because they they had most of the writing credits in the opening credits, not in the closing ones. So the movie, like the title card played and then it's like written by M. Night Show. (laughs) And we were like, uh, okay. (laughs) All right. We'll take that and all its implications. Fine. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we had a really interesting week last week. We had Jumanji. Two versions, the 1996 one and the one from recent times. And we had, amongst those, a cursed and, get this, a blessed. Our very first ever blessed film. And maybe our last ever blessed film. I, yeah. About ten minutes into this one, I thought, we'll never have a blessed film again. We'll never see joy again in our sweet little lives. Um, I just should say right off the bat that we keep on watching movies with cats in them, and I think every time we watch a movie with a cat in it, there's problems. It is the cursed or blurs guarantee. I don't think we've ever watched a movie that wasn't cursed with a cat in it. Even cats we like. Pinocchio had a cat in it that we liked, Figaro. Yeah. We cursed it, though. Yeah. It's, that was a cursed film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, uh, obviously, Cat in the Hat. Very, the most cursed, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely my highest cursed. Yeah. Um, we had cats, and granted, I did say cats was blessed. I said it was cursed, and I stand by that, but less cursed than Cat in the Hat. We had cats and dogs. Highly, highly cursed, in my opinion. Yes, and about halfway through this movie, I posited that Stuart Little is, in fact, the prequel to Cats and Dogs. Yeah. That this is the Mr. Tinkle's origin story. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tinkle is the villain of Cats and Dogs. Um, he's a big fluffy white cat. Uh, who's trying to take over the world. You can't have a fluffy white cat and have it be good. No, you can't. James Bond teaches us that. Yeah, it's the first rule of Bond school. Yeah. I've actually heard, I've actually heard from, um, from, from spies who I talk to in everyday life. Yeah. They're like, the first thing you learn in spy training is don't trust white fluffy cats. Yeah. Just Just don't. Anyone with a white fluffy cat is bad news. Yeah. And the cat themselves, oh boy, you don't want to go near it. You don't don't want to touch that. So there's a white fluffy cat in Stuart Little. An omen. Called Snowbell. 
Voiced by Nathan Lane. Voiced fabulously by Nathan yeah. Lane. Yeah. Well, more on the characters later, but it's just, 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 just all that to say. Will we ever come across a cat in one of these podcast uh, movies for Cursed or Blast, our podcast, which we talk on? <laughs> <laughs> Meow. I don't even, I feel like I'm being super incoherent as a result of this film. This is an incoherent film. There's no real structure to it. It is just kind of episodic. It's based on the E.B. White novel, but loosely at best. Um, I think a good place to start is that in the E.B. White novel, um... The premise of, of the film is that there's a family, and they have a son who is a mouse. Uh, and the way they obtain the mouse son in the book is that Mrs. Little, a human woman, gives birth to a mouse son. Has she? Okay, I don't mean to sound lewd. Yeah. I don't mean to sound vulgar. <laughs> I don't mean to sound disgusting on this here Friday evening. But did she bonk a mouse? I mean, maybe. It's... Did she do IVF? No, Shannon, I, I am asking. Seriously. <laughs> it's a Jane the Virgin situation where she's been inseminated with the wrong semen. Yeah, because a mouse family have gone into the clinic and... Uh, yeah. 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 Maybe? The, the book, the opening lines of the book are her giving birth to the mouse, and no one questions it. Can you imagine giving birth to an... Well, I don't want to imagine giving birth. I don't like the sound of that. No, me neither. But to a non-human. I mean, if you're going to give birth like to a, a giant non- spider. <laughs> I think a mouse is better than a giant spider. I disagree, because I think a mouse... Ma- well, okay, it depends on how large we're talking of the spider. If it's large like the one that we saw the other day in the flat, so like the size of a golf ball... Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, I'd rather give birth to that spider. But all I, those legs. Than I would a mouse. Yeah, but then. What if it was trying to grab on? Oh, Shannon. <laughs> oh, Shannon. Now I'm thinking about Think it. Think about the implications, Elise. Uh, do I. Okay, here. A mouse you can just shoot right out of there and never have to think about it again. Well, unless, the, unless I have to raise it. <laughs> and yeah, I would rather raise a mouse child than a spider child. I guess. I feel like I'd have a tough time communicating to my spider son, Mm -hmm. Stuart Legzel. (laughs) Okay, I take it back. I take it back. I would rather give birth to a mouse than a spider. These are the questions we're having to contend with in this movie. Chime off in the comments. What What animal would you rather give birth to? It's a very small one. Yeah. Like a like a flea. I was thinking like a minnow. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're a good shape. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Very tiny. <laughs> and then you can just put it in a jar. Mm. Very portable. Not like a fucking spider. Okay. I shouldn't have gone straight to spider. <laughs> All those goddamn legs. For me, it would have to be some sort of insect because I don't want to keep it. Mm. I don't want to keep my insect. I'm sorry, does that make me a bad person? So it would be a flea and then you'd put that flea in a box. And you'd put that <laughs> box in another box. And then send that box to the orphanage. 
I'm a good person, I think. Really? Outside of this scenario, I think I'm a good person. Yeah. I remember watching Stuart Little <laughs> as a kid and, like, enjoying it, but I was five. And you know what they always say, kids are stupid. To be fair, we started this talking about giving birth to animals because in the book, Mrs. Little gives birth to Stuart Little. In the movie, they decided to not do that. No. And yet what they decide is just equally wild. I, I reckon that usually in this podcast, we just fire through the, the plot fairly quickly and then talk about the implications. But, but there's so many implications in this film that I think we just have to plow the, plow the fuck through. Yeah, I think we're going to have to just go point by point through everything that happens. Yeah. And the movie opens with George, the little son, human son, um, waking, waking up his parents, being like, it's today, it's today, it's the day I'm going to get a brother. And it's sort of a montage of him saying this a lot um, throughout his morning routine and then going to school. And as he's going to school, he's like, are you sure I can't come with you? Um, and they're like, no, you have to go to school, son. We're going to go to buy a child. Yeah, we're going to go pick out your brother. Just like a puppy. Yeah. Like a, a ranch. Yeah. And he's like, how will you know it's the right one? And they're like, well, just know. And they send him off to school. And then they go to the orphanage. And the orphanage is also a school. Yeah, the orphanage, as soon as they get in, there's a school bell. And the woman running the orphanage says, oh, recess. Recess is in their dormitory. They're in... The... And then the parents are just let into the dormitory, unsupervised, uns unscreened, unchecked. It's like, yeah, go and just... Have at it. Yeah, Choose just, one. Just pick one. This is not how adoption works. And this is how the Littles end up with a mouse son. Yeah. They adopt a tiny little anthropomorphic mouse with, with a, an adult's voice. With the voice of... Fuck, what is his name? Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. And how old is he when he recorded this? He is fully 38. Uh. This is after Back to the Future. He is 38 years old when he is recording the voice of Stuart Little, an anthropomorphic mouse in a tiny little suit. So here's the problem with this. It, it, is, he, is he, the character, Stuart Little, an adult? Is he a child whose voice is broken straight away? If he's an adult, how long has he, how many years has he lived? Do mice live two or three years in this universe? Or do they live to, I don't know, 85 or whatever? What's the, tr what's the, what? Yeah. Are they uh, adopting a man? All of these questions come crashing in on you the first time they have a conversation with Stuart. Because he, not only does he have the voice of 38-year-old Michael J. Fox, he also has the dialogue of an adult character. Like, yeah. George, the human child, talks like a child. Yeah. Stuart does not. He has dialogue that could be swapped out with Mr. Little's dialogue, and you wouldn't really notice. And he says stuff like, Mom, Dad, I'm full of despair and dismay. Yeah. What child? 
What child says that? And they never really confirm how old he is. And is this because mice only live two years? Yeah, is this like a a pity adoption? Is this is this the done thing? So a lot of the characters in this movie kind of sometimes act as if it's like a, a complete random surprise that there's a mouse for a son, but there's also like a precedent for there being mm, interspecies ad- adoptions because Mrs. Keeper the head of the orphanage advises the littles against um, adopting a child of a different species. In su- and she suggests in such a way that she's seen it happen before. Yeah. So, what other animals? But there's no other animals in the orphanage. There's no yeah. other mice. There. But several times throughout the movie, we do see like anthropomorphic mice having conversations with people. Yeah. We see, we'll get to that this later, but we see two anthropomorphic mice pretending to be Stuart's parents, and then we see anthropomorphic mice in a police lineup. Yeah. So. <laughs> What's the truth? I think I, I said this while we were watching, like, everyone is both too surprised and not surprised enough. Neither of this yeah. has never happened before. And we're floored that there's a talking mouse with an adult man's voice. And everyone should be freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Or, this is normal, but a little bit odd. But we, we're, we're sly to the fact that there are talking mice around. We know this. Yeah. But no one acts like that either. Like, they're they, just the exactly the wrong amount of perplexed by everything that's happening. Yeah, everyone goes the exact wrong way for every reveal. And the, the adoption is wild to me. Because they chose Stuart and got to take him home the day of. No home visits. No background nope. check. Nope. They're just like, okay, you're our son now. And he immediately starts calling the mum and dad. And they take him to a house that's not equipped to accommodate the fact that he's three inches tall. The house is not equipped, especially in the sense that this is a house with a, a pet cat inside of it. The first thing that happens when he gets into the house is the cat swallows, well, puts it in, puts him in his mouth and then is made to spit him out. The, obviously that was going to happen. Yeah. Obviously that was going to happen. It- and this isn't checked by the adoption agency. It's not mentioned by the littles. And no one seems concerned after it happens. No, they're like, well, Snowball, don't eat family members. Literally, that's a line. Yeah. And then that's that. Yeah. That's that on that. When you own cats and then have a baby, there's precautions you should take. Mm-hmm. With that, people like... It's not just like, oh, cats won't do anything. They're animals. Yeah. We know that. Mm-hmm. We know that better than anyone. That us too after listening to the cat soundtrack so many times. Uh, yeah. Dirty animals. A cat is not a dog. A cat is not a dog. But a, a cat will just act on, on a whim. Yeah. So when you've got a baby, you've got to put protections up to stop the cat getting into the cot and never leave the cat and the baby alone in a room, mm-hmm. etc. Surely... The same, if not more, precautions should be taken if you adopt a mouse son. <laughs> but they don't, it's like they've forgotten they have a cat or they've forgotten that cats eat mice. Though the littles consistently throughout the film act like Stuart is not a mouse. Like they haven't <laughs> noticed he's a mouse. <laughs> 
And maybe this is just, like, the first of those incidents. Like, there, there's, shortly after this, there's a moment where they invite the rest of the family over to meet their new son. And they don't tell any of them ahead of time that their new son is a tiny little mouse with an adult man's voice. And which is funny, because all the family have purchased, like, incredibly inappropriate gifts, like a really heavy bowling ball. <laughs> a or bicycle. A bicycle for a human. And the, like, the family are, are very nice about it. They're very on board for this mouse nephew they now have. Yeah. But the the parents didn't warn them. They weren't like, <laughs> our son is three inches tall and a mouse. And, and sure, just... he somehow has opposable thumbs. <laughs> but it makes it so awkward for Stuart. Yeah. And he wins them all around, but it's like not fair on him. No. And, and, and it's also like unfair on the human son, George. Yeah. Who... Again, when he goes back from school, asks if they've chosen a brother for him, and they're like, yeah, sure, it's this mouse. (laughs) Why don't introduce him to this concept while Stuart is there? I feel like there should have been more warning or whatever. George freaks out a bit. Yeah. And then there's this kind of weird, like hostile tension between the two sons. Yeah. Which may have been avoided with some prior discussion. Yeah, the parents do just kind of hang Stuart out to dry pretty constantly throughout the movie. Not to be like a parenting guru here. (laughs) But but come on, come on. Parents are uh, Hugh Laurie and Gina Davis, by the way. Oh, yes. And they are wildin'. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to explain. Um, I do. Go on. They're they're vanilla Adams family. They're, like, the intensity of Morticia and Gomez Adams without any of the charm. Um, they are... They still have a pure, unbridled sex appeal. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, that's a joke. This is a joke, but it's it's the sexual energy is weird. Yeah, it's not like it is like it's that intensity that the Adams Adamses have, but they didn't bother to make either of them charming or to make that intensity make sense in the world they've created. Oh, and the movie is trying so hard to make them charming. There's a long, long, long scene where they're playing a duet on a piano and oh. Stuart has gone into the piano to help fix a, a, a stuck key and the parents are just singing and being all cosy. Yeah. And why did that scene last half an hour? <laughs> it was. It was the longest scene since I watched all the dwarves in Snow White wash their faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and And... And throughout the beginning bit of the movie, it's, it's just like a, a series of scenes where um, the son, George, is not being welcoming to Stuart Little. And then the parents are like, hey, honey, you should go talk to him. And then they'll go to talk to him. Here's a, here's a scene. Hey, son, I think you should be nicer to Stuart. Dad, my model boat's not very good. 
Well, okay, well, okay, let's park this conversation about you not being nice to your adopted brother uh, and talk about boats for five minutes. <laughs> no. Uh, the parents have, like, the weakest wills I've ever seen. Yeah. Which becomes a problem later, we'll explain. Yeah. But, like, ooh. <laughs> and at this point in the movie, the only respite we got from this clownery was Snowbell the Cat. Mm-hmm. Icon. We've yeah. done it again, folks. It's, yeah, we were, what, like, 12 minutes in? We were 12 minutes in. And we fell for the villain. Again. And it's because he's so good. He's a big, floofy ball of charisma. Mm-hmm. And he voices what we're thinking, which is everyone in the house sucks. Yeah. It's Nathan Lane. How could we not enjoy him? Mm-hmm. You had an intense flashback to your youth? I did. There's a... I don't e- What? What's the prompt line for this? Oh, Stuart says, maybe we could be friends or something to yeah. Snowbell. And Snowbell says, read my furry pink lips. No. And I had a... I had a... And mostly baton sort of moment. This is, for those of you who have not listened to any other episodes of Cursed or Blurst, every once in a while we'll come across a line from a movie that we vividly remember, even though we remember none of the surrounding events. Yeah. And the first of these was from Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Um, where Mrs. Salt says, I have a lot of trophies, mostly baton. <laughs> and there's one in The Grinch... Yeah. And, yeah, go back to our other episodes and listen to them, but this is another one of those moments. I had another one in in this movie. It was slightly, I mean, yes, I remembered the snowball line, but I also remembered, and it's not even funny, it's just, like, stuck with me. Later on, um, Stuart's fake dad tucking him into sleep was like, um, don't let the bed bugs bite. No, seriously, I mean it about those bed bugs. (laughs) And I just... I guess internalize that. Um, and I think, you know what, the reason I internalize this, it's all coming back to me now, is because as a child, I didn't realize bed bugs were real. Oh. I also, for the longest time, didn't think fly- fireflies were real. I just hadn't come across either of those two insects. Mm. So I just thought they were, I thought bed bugs was just like a cute thing to say to kids mm-hmm. and not like a real actual danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I shower after visiting hostels quite thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And fireflies, too. Do you want to know when I first learned that fireflies were a real insect? Do tell. You would not believe your eyes <laughs> when 10 million fireflies. <laughs> I'd like to make myself believe that fireflies are real insects. I googled it because I like the song that I heard on the radio. Turns out fireflies exist in America, but not the UK. Uh, it was the song Fireflies by Owl City. Yes. When did that song come out? Uh, hmm. I'm just going to have a throw a guess out, throw a little guess into the wind and say 2010. Mm, that seems too recent, but Does maybe. It? Oh, uh, 2009. Oh. Also a fan of that song. I knew fireflies were real because we had them in the backyard when I was a kid. Yeah. Bed bugs, I think I was probably around the same... I didn't know they were real until I suddenly had to start checking for them in, like, hotels and shit. Yeah. 
there was a problem with bed bugs in a couple of places in, I think, Toronto when I was younger, and I had to learn how to, like, check for bed bugs under mm, mattresses mm-hmm. in hotels. And, like, I do that in hostels now still. Yeah. I think it might have been this line in this movie that made me think, oh, maybe maybe there are such things as bed bugs. Which was strange that I didn't take it literally as a kid, because I remember one time when I was a child, it was really windy outside, and my mum said, it's a wild night out there. And then... I don't know, I must have been like four or something. Mm. I just sort of like, in a sleepy daze, convinced myself that the street, the cul-de-sac that we were on was full of wild animals. (laughs) And that like, if I didn't get to sleep, they'd come and eat my arms. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) I don't know how I was expecting you to end that sentence, but that was not it. I, I, well, I can tell you why about the arm thing too, um, and then we can get back onto the plot of Stuart Little, because I realise it's a massive, like, <laughs> sidestep. So, uh, okay, the house I lived in at that time, we had a cat mm-hmm. called Mo, my first cat, lovely cat, um, but she was also mercurial in nature, mm. and I don't know, she wouldn't, like, go out of her way to hurt you, but sometimes she'd just get a bit, like, feral. You know? Good cat. Good, good cat. And one time I was lying in bed with my arm dangling off the side of the bed and Mm. she had gotten into sort of like a hidey space, like a cupboardy bit underneath my bed. I didn't realise she was there. She wasn't meant to be in my room at night. Mm -hmm. And she leapt out of that and just grabbed onto my arm and like dangled on my arm and I shook her off eventually. And I was like, for fuck's sake, Mo. Mm -hmm. What the hell? Mm -hmm. Mo? That's why I was worried about about, uh, my arms getting eaten. Right. As a child. Because wild animals do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it happened to me. Yeah. From a domestic animal. Uh, Mr. Snowbell (laughs) has some iconic lines. He's just Snowbell. He's not Mr. Snowbell. (laughs) Oh, but he's so similar to Mr. Tinkles. He's so similar. He's the same type of cat as Mr. Tinkles, a fluffy white cat. Um, and he's got a similar energy to Mr. Tinkles. But is animated in a much less disturbing way. Yeah. All the cats, in the, there's quite a few cats in this movie. They're fine. They're not weird to look at. Their mouths move when they talk. But, but not in a horrible way. It's, it's quite okay. It's fine, yeah. The only CGI... Animal is Stuart himself, and even he doesn't look terrible. Considering it's nineteen ninety nine, I was expecting him to look god awful, but he's fine. Yeah, he's just like a little bit smooth and looks a bit cut out from the frame. Don't we all? But yeah, other than that, he's totally fine looking. And it was, I think, a smart move to just fully animate him. Yes, like he's not sort of ha he's not one of those horrible mouse children and cats oh don't remind me of the mice children and- okay if you've not heard our cats episode and you're not get- and you, you might not want to see the cats movie that came out last year um they have these like the mice are children with cgi mouse features there's no way to describe it other than that. Like, it's horribly morphed. If you're thinking, no, that sounds monstrous, yes. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. 
It's least, exactly as horrible as you think it is. At least they're, they're not the dancing cockroach women that get oh. eaten by Rebel Wilson cat. Oh, God. Um, let's not go back down this road. Let's just talk about the cats that do exist in this movie. So, um, Snowbell is not super happy, but, like, fairly chill with Stuart existing in the house. And then his friend Monty busts into the house to eat some food, finds out that Stuart Little is there and is technically the master of Snowbell. Because mm-hmm. Stuart's part of the family and Snowbell's the family's pet. Uh, pisses himself laughing and um, threatens to humiliate Snowbell to all of his cat friends. But then a scheme is hatched in the alleyway. In the cat alleyway. With the cat mafia. The cat mafia. Snowbell is set up with... I think he's called Smokey. Yeah. The cat, who uh, is a grey cat, who is a mob boss, and this they're talking about fixing, fixing up the situation so Stuart can just get out of the house and not be a member of the family anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not great, but it's not like murder, mm-hmm. so it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Were you? Laughing it to my moral prioritization there. Their crimes come in murder and others, so it's okay. <laughs> it's not It's not great, but it's not murder, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> For this movie, yes. <sighs> um, I, listen, I don't... I have, at this point in the movie, I've not been made to care about Stuart Little because it hasn't been the charming boat race scene. Oh, yes. Um, there, there is a boat race. It does happen. <laughs> it sounds, Shannon, like you were not fully paying attention to the events of the boat race scene. I think I was astral projecting during the boat race scene. I know there was a, a, a mean child introduced and summarily dismissed who was George's Anton. rival in the boat race. It was a little posh kid with a big fancy boat yeah. that was plowing down all the other boats in this little race. Yes. Um, but then we never see this child again after he loses the race. No. Hugh Laurie says, I don't think I like that child. Which was quite funny. Which is the only backbone that character shows in the entire film. And it's barely even backbone because he's just saying it in general to the air and not to anyone. (laughs) Um, in effect, Stuart helps George win the boat race and they are friends and there's a big family celebration um, afterwards with all of the littles and uh, a family picture is taken and Stuart's like, this is the happiest day of my young life. And then... <laughs> and then the bad times start. And they just don't really end. <laughs> the doorbell rings pretty much after Stuart says, this is the happiest moment of my life. I think it's immediately after that yeah. line. Um, and... The littles open the door and there's like two mice on the doorstep who are like, we're Stuart's parents. And the littles are like, okay, here's your son. They both sound like Joey Tribbiani. (laughs) I don't know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) What? Joey from Friends. I haven't seen Friends. Is that his surname? (laughs) I've never seen an episode of Friends. No, actually, his surname is Honkabilly Williams. <laughs> Joey Honkabilly Williams. 
Yeah, Jodie Tribbiani. I stand by never having watched an episode of Friends. How you doing? <laughs> they do sound like that. They do sound like that. They sound it? like Joey from Friends. I do know what he sounds like. I didn't know that any of the characters in Friends had a last name. Hang on. So you didn't know who Joey was, but as soon as I said, said, how are you doing, you're like, ah, yes, that's No, one. but when you said Joey from Friends, like, okay, I know who that is. <laughs> I didn't know any of them even had last names. Do you know how many seasons of Friends there are? No! <laughs> Do you know... Name the Friends. Just name <laughs> their first names. I want to see what you know. Joey. Yeah. R- Ross. Ross Geller, yeah. Chandler. Chandler Bing. Phoebe. Phoebe Wallerbridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's not correct. Um, Rachel. Green. Monica. Geller Bing. <laughs> I don't think that's correct. Uh, you're wrong. She gets married to Chandler Bing, and she is Ross's sister. Really? There's deep lore to this show. There's so many seasons of Friends. What the fuck? Did I get all their names right? You did. I'm going to call that a win. And then, of course, there's the other Friends. McCavity, Buster Jones, <laughs> Skimble Shanks. <laughs> the Rum Tum Tugger. And the Rum Tum Tugger. And they live in the other apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and sometimes it's like a crossover episode with them. Yeah. And also, uh, Rasputin. Yeah. If you, hey, if you listen to our <laughs> Anastasia episode, you'll know that Rasputin was also a friend in Friends. Yeah. <laughs> and now you all know that I was not aware that that was a bit. Yeah, I thought you were in on that bit. No, I just haven't seen Friends. Shannon, every time something slightly inconvenient happens to me, or you, or anyone, I start saying the following... When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, and you just ha- you just let that happen, you just let that happen. With I know the song. It's a song outside of being the theme to Friends. It's only, but really, it's only the Friends theme song. I just know the song. <laughs> I know. I'm worried that I've said things from Friends, and you're like, what? Like, like the word pivot. That wasn't, pivot. In, that wasn't invented by the show Friends. They invented the word pivot. I've got a good pivot story. Oh, God. But I feel like we've gone way sidetracked. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> okay, like, in Friends, there's a scene where they're trying to get a sofa up the stairs. Okay. And I think it's Ross keeps on shouting, pivot, pivot, like that. Mm. Um, so one time I was hiking mm-hmm. in the Lake District. Yeah. And this is an outward bound thing, so there's a kind of group of us, like, teens on our own. Like, stupid idiots. Mm-hmm. Like, camping in the middle of a valley. We decided to yeah, we decided to put our tent up in the valley without thinking about where we should be camping and then a fox hunt happened around us. <laughs> and all these beagles came like sprinting <laughs> down the mountain towards our tents. And we were like, "Oh, fuck." And then when it was happening, most of us, there were four of us, the th- three of us were like you know, it's okay, because we're not foxes. So these beagles are not going to rip us open and tear us to shreds. Um, they're going to see that we're humans and swerve. This one guy, Warren, got really, really, really nervous about it. And he just, like, jumps out of his tent, points at the dogs and says, Pivot! Pivot! <laughs> <laughs> so Stuart's... 
Stuart's parents sound like Joey from Friends, and Joey apparently has a surname, and that is who they sound like. <laughs> apparently has a surname. <laughs> How many shows have you watched which are so long running where the characters don't have surnames? <laughs> No, I watch a lot of sci-fi. Sometimes they don't even have first names. Well, I didn't realize Luke had a surname and that it was Skywalker. In all of Star Trek, there's a character who's just called Q. And that's just all they call him for, like, all of Next Gen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so these two mice appear and say that they're Stuart's real family and that Stuart should go home with them. And that really, the human family can never truly love him because he looks different because he's a mouse and they're humans. And then the, the, the human parents are like, boys, go upstairs. We're going to deal with this. And then immediately, don't deal with it. Give Stuart away, like, instantly. To these mice who have no documentation to prove who they are. They've not been... They don't even have any proof of how the mice found them. No. Because the adoption agency was not in contact with them because they went... At one point, Stuart was asking about his birth parents, so they go to the adoption agency and are like, do you have any information we can give him? And the adoption agency is like, no, we don't have anything. So they have no reason to suspect that they've been given any information by the agency. They, yeah, there's no paper trail or anything, and they're just like, all right, here's our son. And then as soon as they're loading up in the cu- into the taxi, the human, the human mother says... I don't know about this, darling. I'm not too sure that we did the right thing. He's like, well, they are right. They are mice and we're humans. And it's like, why are you having this discussion amongst yourselves now? After you said, yes, take our son. To these random mice who've showed up. Yeah. So then Stuart goes with them to live on the golf, mini golf course. And Mm -hmm. is warned about bed bugs. Mm -hmm. And then it's revealed to him that actually... They were put up to it by cats. To pretend to be his parents. And Stuart's like, okay, I forgive you. I'm going to drive back home now. Yeah, in his little, um, he's got like a little dinky car (laughs) that belonged to George, but that operates as a functional car with a radio. Um, About simultaneously, the Littles are finding out from the adoption agency who finally comes for a home visit (laughs) weeks after Stuart's been adopted. And is like, so I know you told me to look up some stuff about Stuart's parents and I have bad news for you. They're dead. And put a pin in that. We'll be back to that story in a moment. Um, And the littles are like, saith what? When did they die? And she's like, years ago. What are you, what? And (laughs) they're just like, oh no. But they're not like, oh no. They're very calmly like, oh, that's strange because we just gave Stuart away to his parents. Also, this is a funny story, by the way, our cat momentarily ate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the adoption lady is not concerned by any of this, and we never see her again. And then the, the littles start looking for Stuart, though are, like you mentioned, not nearly as freaked out as they should be. Let's take a pin out of what we put a pin in. Yes. The story of the death of Stuart's birth parents is horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Take us through it, Elise. They were shopping in the supermarket because apparently that's normal for mice to do that. And then a pyramid of cream of mushroom soup 
tumbles onto them, crushing them and killing them. They were so, so mangled that they could only be identified by their dental records. All of this is said out loud in a children's movie. (laughs) And the littles are just sitting there like, oh, that's awful. (laughs) But are clearly going on some completely separate thought journey about having just given their son away. (laughs) While the adoption agent is just like, there was a horrible accident involving cream of mushroom soup. M. Night Shyamalan, what were you thinking when you wrote these scenes? I think M. Night Shyamalan was thinking, I'd rather be working on The Sixth Sense. (laughs) There are other, like, this whole section of the movie is just kind of morbid. Because they go to a police officer to investigate, and this detective, and he's like, uh, do you want me to give it to you straight? And then the parents are like, no. Because they're useless. And then he's like, oh, yay, your son's fine. And they were like, okay, we do want it straighter than that. And he was like, yeah, well, he's probably disfigured by now. Because <laughs> because those parents are probably going on like a nationwide crime spree. Chopping up and slicing children mice hither and thither. Yeah, because he says like if there's no ransom note, they're not kidnappers, they're murderers. And then starts showing them, like, a scrapbook of child murders. Yeah, images. Yeah. And you just see their face, their, rea- their like, cartoonishly horrified reactions. And he says the line, Time to kiss your boy goodbye. <laughs> um, you're just... Uh, what? No one... I think it's a, important to note that at no point during any of these events... Do any of the characters cry? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> not Stuart, not Mrs. or Mr. Little. Or George. Or George, the four-year-old child. Nobody cries. <laughs> ever. <laughs> not when the police officer says that their son is probably dead. Not when they realize they've given their son away to some randoms. Or when Stuart realizes he's been given away. No, yeah. He's remarkably fine with everything that happens. Yeah. And also, too forgiving. He's too forgiving. Way too forgiving. Because when he decides to go back to the house, uh, the timing is off, so he shows up back at the house after all of the littles have left to do, like, a manhunt around the city for him. So Mm -hmm. the house is empty except for Snowbell, who then convinces Stuart that, like, the family is, is glad to be rid of him and shows the fam- the, of the, they'd taken a family photo earlier and the family had, like, cut out Stuart's face from the photo to, like, photocopy it for the missing posters. So Snowbell shows, like, the cutout photo and is like, they couldn't wait to be, get rid of you, etc., etc. And, again, nobody cries. Stuart's just fine and is like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go live in Central Park now. Yeah, I guess I'll live in a bird's nest. (laughs) So that's what he does. He goes to Central Park, lives in a bird's nest. All of the other cats are now out for blood. They want to kill Stuart Little. And Snowbell is with them until he is not. (laughs) Why the change of heart? Mm. No, no, no. Cats are are like that. Cats do be that way. (laughs) Hypocritical cats. (laughs) 
<laughs> we found the hypocritical cat. And it's Snowbell. So Snowbell, basically, there's like a long ass chase scene with these cats and mm-hmm. both of us were just zoning out. Yeah. Long story short, Snowbell he- helps to save Stuart. The other cats are dropped in a river and humiliated. Mm. And uh, Stuart returns home. And that's the end. Cut to a knockoff Mambo number five called One Plus One Is Two, mm-hmm. which just has the exact same tune as Mambo n- number five. It's like yeah. One Plus One Is Two, na 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 na, Two Plus Two Is Four, <laughs> Four Plus Four Is Eight. Uh, is a very odd and jarring cut in the credits. It's very similar to the the jarringness of the credit song for the Emperor's New Groove yeah. that's inexplicably by Sting. <laughs> <laughs> um, or the, at the end of um, Cats and Dogs where it was What's New Pussycat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a favorite character? Yes, yeah, Nobel. Yeah, it's mine as well. Uh, do you have a least favorite character? That's tricky, but it might have been the the lady from the adoption agency. I feel really dropped the ball on everything that happened in this she, movie. She had a duty of care, and she didn't do that duty. She was about as useful as like Mr. Poe in a series of unfortunate events. So like they show up at this horrific place and is like, "Yep, yeah, this is fine. Bye, kids." Like, I think, like, she's maybe the true villain. I know Snowbell's meant to be the villain. Yeah. But I think it might be the adoption agency lady. I have to say, I think the co-villains are the, the littles. For similar reasons, mm. duty of care, they drop. Mm-hmm. They just don't give a shit. No, they don't. They don't seem to have all that much for being like, we love Stuart and he's our son. They don't have that much emotional investment. Especially, Stuart is missing. They've handed him off to some random people. The police think he's dead. And there's this scene where, like, George is sitting, like, looking out the window, thinking, after putting up all these missing posters, being like, my brother's gonna come back. And the parents are talking amongst themselves, and Mrs. Little says to Mr. Little, he's just gonna be devastated if we don't find Stuart. Like, Stuart's a missing pet or something. Yeah. Would be like, oh, Biscuit ran away. He's gonna be devastated if we can't find him. Like, no, this is like this is your son. Yeah, you should care about Biscuit. <laughs> you should be like, oh my God, our child has been kidnapped. Not our other child will be wor- will be devastated if we can't find this spare yeah, child. It does seem like they've sort of adopted a mouse for the japes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it does. Like, Sometimes they're nice, and sometimes they just seem a little xenophobic Mm. in how patronizing... First of all, they just think when these mice parents turn up that, like, oh, they're mice, they must be related to Stuart Little. Mm -hmm. Seems racist. Um, And also, they're just patronizing. Like, there's one bit where where Hugh Laurie picks up a tiny bowl and he says, oh, he's eaten all of his soup. Good for him. (laughs) Um, there's a bit where the uh, where Mrs. Keeper, head of the orphanage, suggests that mice families are not very good at keeping records. Mm-hmm. Seems dodgy. Seems dodgy. Yeah, they're... I-, I would agree with you that the Littles are equally culpable for a lot of the bad stuff that happens in this movie. And also just an obnoxious family. 
They have a catchphrase. They have two catchphrases, at least. First one being little high, little low. Little hey, little ho. And the second one being something like, um, a little can always find the little's house. Uh. Which is the very nature of an of a home address. <laughs> if, if that's your home address, you know it. You can always find it. That's what Google Maps is for. Like, oh, only the Galois family know where the Galois family live. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. Because that's where my home is. <sighs> Stupid. It's like family branding. Don't try and brand a family. No. It's always going to come off as weird. Yep. Shannon, did, um, did you think this movie was cursed, blessed, or, or... Do we have another blessed in our hands? <laughs> we do not. Um, I think this movie is cursed. I was teetering for a bit on the edge of cursed and blurst, but really I think the reason it comes down to cursed for me is that we were, we were looking up some online articles after watching the movie on how people who are adopted or who deal with, like, adopted mm. families, how they have received this movie that is about adoption, and, like, fully the recommendation is to not take adopted kids to this movie because it will upset them. Yeah, a lot of the implications are awful. Yeah, and I think that's what really tips it over to Cursed for me, is that this is, like, actively upsetting to yeah. children. And I feel like the movie does try and, like, it tries to resolve some of the... the conflicts around adoption that it sets up but not fully mm-hmm. and not in, it just the whole process is portrayed in like a really weird way yeah and like if i was Stuart, i would be so angry at the littles for just like giving me away yeah to abandoning me again to random strangers to random strangers with no just paperwork yeah with no paperwork just because they're also mice yeah to joey tribbiani and his wife <laughs> no thank you no thank you sir and, um, and, and and Stuart's like, okay, Stuart is a resilient little mouse boy man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is. It's, it's, yeah, it would be damaging. I think it's, uh, it's got some weird vibes about family throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you call this movie? Stuart Little. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart Little, the blessed film? The blurst film or the cursed film? I was with you, like, I was teetering for a long time. And when we were sort of, like, had a halfway through the movie food break, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a blurst. Because I was really engaged. Mm -hmm. As well as being horrified Mm -hmm. by the implications of everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I got really bored during all the cat scenes. Mm -hmm. And you know me, I love cat scenes. Yeah. If there's cats, I'm there. Yeah. If, If it's feline, I'm feeling fine. Uh, but I got bored, <laughs> and then the implications weren't resolved. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna have to go cursed. Yeah. It's an engaging cursed though. It's not like a boring curse like Snow White. It's an engaging one like Cat in the Hat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. In very much like Cats and Dogs. Yeah. Like, and not that far away chronologically either. No. It had very similar vibes, and like the last third of it was quite boring. It was lots of chasing. Yeah, it does feel like... So, I feel like the movie... You can see how the early 2000s are about to start. Mm. Stuff like Shrek. 
and uh, cats and dogs Mm -hmm. and the Dr. Seuss movies. But it still feels like family film wholesome as the 90s kids movies that Mm -hmm. we've watched. Including Jumanji. Yeah. Kind of uh, like pitching for. Um, And it's interesting to see how... Because it is a lot more... It's not charming, but it's a lot more charming than the early 2000s movies that we've watched. That's true. So, which movie was a trendsetter? Which early 2000s movie started this weird tone of, like, adult humour and pop culture references and, like, cringe humour? Was it Shrek? I was about to say, did, like, people take the success of Shrek the wrong way? Yeah, because I think Shrek does it... Shrek is, like... Shrek is 2001 and was really very successful. And I think... I don't know, maybe Shrek is a a contender for this show at some point. I think Shrek is... Gets a... Obviously it was very successful. I think it gets a bad rap in retrospect because of all of the other Shrek movies and for the movies inspired by Shrek. If you go and revisit Shrek, there's, like, some, like, dirty humour, obviously, it's about an ogre, and, like, some pop culture references, but not nearly as much in the first one as in the second one, third one, whatever. Mm. And it's quite heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't think it mocks Disney, but not as overtly as I remember it doing at the time. Like, it's... On a rewatch, it seems to also be at a boundary. It's not the same as the Seuss, Dr. Seuss movies. But I, w- I wonder if, though, because it's more like those than what we just watched, if people took the wrong lessons about what made Shrek successful and if just Shrek blew was, those up. Yeah, so Shrek could have been the catalyst for these yeah. things. I don't think it is symptomatic of like no, I don't think weird so. vibes. I don't think so either. Justice but I think for maybe, Shrek. I think maybe it was one of the reasons Yeah. that this became a thing. Shrek may be blessed. I don't know. I mean, we'd have to watch it to find out. Yeah. It's been years since I've seen Shrek. Like, I, I feel like, give put a Shrek 2 through the mill, and that could be a blessed or a cursed, but... Yeah. But only because they were, like, using Shrek as a moneymaker at that point. Yeah. It's an interesting period of, of kids' film. I feel like kids' film is, like, going back to more sincere storytelling right now. I think so, too. But that runs the risk of sometimes being a little mm, worthy, you know? A little, yeah. A little I think there have been some really nice ones recently, like Moana was really quite yeah. good. Yeah, and say what you want about the Frozen films for, like, getting kids to sing in too mm. much. But they're fairly wholesome. Yeah. I think Disney's being more... Co- you know what Disney film I really liked recently? Uh, Zootopia. I liked Zootopia really a lot. I actually God, studied that... God, it had that... Shakira in it. <laughs> I studied that in the film writing class, actually. Chock full of jokes. Blessed movie. Good film, yeah. Anyway, but this is... Uh, it's 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 interesting to see but you're how right, these like, things there have, is... like, waves of weirdness because I, I think the 90s are weird in a different way than the early 2000s and i maybe shrek isn't the pivot but i kind of think it is it's not the pivot pivot <laughs> uh because just because it was so successful and it has telltale signs of what later becomes completely they, insufferable they, they it led into some of the wrong things it's a little bit like adding like some some spice to your food like we're gonna add some slightly off-color humor and like 
some slightly over-the-top pop culture references to, like, a genuinely heartfelt and fun movie, mm-hmm. and then people after it going, like, oh, it's just all that. Yeah. We're just gonna do that for the whole movie. Yeah. And so, while it, I don't want to say it's Shrek's fault, because I don't think that's what I'm saying... I think that no, it's I know people what you're yeah. being like, what made, off of it. what made this movie successful? Well, this is what was different than the previous ones, so we'll just do that times a hundred. Yeah, and I feel like from the comedy scene outside of kid stuff, in general at that time, things were getting a bit South Parky. Mm, you know? Yeah. Like, not very sincere at all, and yeah. that's what makes it funny kind of vibes. Yeah. Um, and I will stop there before I get on a rant a little about comedy at that time. Yeah, that's early two thousands for many reasons. Not reasons not like a good time. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think we have a movie planned set in stone for next week. No, we do. Staying flexible, staying yeah flexible. I said <laughs> that while stretching. I felt really good. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting how we're sort of like getting a sense for the sort of like kids film landscape yeah. of these times. Which is, like, it is interesting because we grew up in the early 2000s. Like, those are the first sort of movies I can remember watching. Because I was yeah. born in 95. Yeah. And I, I watched a lot of old Disney films and a bunch of the stuff from the 90s that we've watched. But, like, those movies that were coming out when I was remembering them, stuff I would have seen in cinemas. Yeah. Were all the early 2000s stuff. Yeah. And they're the things I'm finding the most cursed. I I think that I would watch them in cinemas, but they wouldn't be the ones that I would, like, internalize. I was more still, like, going on, you know, like, old videotapes. Yeah, I had... Like, early, like, classic Disney stuff. Or even, like, 80s Disney stuff, even. Um... I had, like, Mary Poppins and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Bed knobs and and broomsticks. Yeah. Yeah. Little Mermaid. Yeah. That sort of thing. But then I was seeing, like, Shrek and that sort of thing. Well, Shrek notwithstanding, but The Grinch. And um, maybe even Stuart Little, I'm not sure. I might have been a bit too young in cinema as they were coming out. And have almost no recollection of the plot when we go back to watch them again. Yeah, it's it's it certainly is interesting kind of touching on those ones as opposed to just going in and just like watching and reviewing like an old classic Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think are more obviously cursed for different reasons. But yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so next week is a massive like black box mystery. As they say in the pub quiz that I go to sometimes, what's in the box? What's in the box? Tell me, tell me, what's in the box? Who knows? Could be anything. Could be anything. Could be any old thing. Little high, little low. (laughs) (laughs) Little hey, little ho. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check out... Feel free to check out uh, our other ones that exist. You can find us by searching Cursed or Blurst into the Google, and we're on most podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcast apart from soundcloud because forget them and uh yeah we're on social media theoretically uh we're on twitter and we're on instagram so find us like us love us learn about our lives and hopefully next time we have an episode shannon will have learned more about the friends of friends goodbye (laughs) 